Hello, my name is Sedna Emma Fiati. I am proudly queer and black and the head of Firecrackers Social Justice Department. My name means a gift from God in the Ghanaian language of Ewe, where my father's people are from. I was born to a Trinidadian mother and a Ghanaian father on this land called Toronto, Tuckeronto, where the trees stand tall in the water. I've spent most of my life, I would say at least a good half of it at least, not really knowing or understanding the history of this land and the indigenous people. And I think I've made a point for the last 10 years of reversing that ignorance and learning more and just deepening my relationships with the land and the many nations across this country we call Canada. That learning has included learning about the many genocidal practices, including residential schools. It's recently come to light that there are many mass graves across this country, unmarked graves of children whose lives were lost at these schools, much less the trauma of the people who've survived these schools, many of whom are still alive today. And when we talk about trauma, we should know and deeply understand that it is generational. So the trauma that one person experienced reverberates throughout their entire family line, throughout their communities for many years. As a person of African descent, I certainly know that. I certainly feel it, the generational trauma from slavery and colonization that has altered the trajectory of my peoples. We're approaching this day, Canada Day. For me, it's never, not never, but for a long time, it has not been a day of deep celebration. And it cannot be this year as more and more it comes to light, the many mass graves around these residential schools. I think it's a day for all so-called Canadians, no matter how we got here, whether it was through immigration, like my parents who were fleeing colonized lands or something better, whether you are someone whose lineage traces back to the settlers, the British and French and others. It's a day for us to deeply reflect and renew our relationships with the land and the indigenous people and to commit and recommit to daily practice of understanding the history and the current realities. It's a daily practice. We just take the indigenous people, we take their land, there's so many of them who are active in so many ways in firecracker department, um, which is mainly focused on film and TV. I feel like we take the lead of artists in film and TV and indigenous artists that is, and continue to deepen our relationships with understanding their realities, their artwork. It can look like so many different ways and I encourage us to dig deep and be creative and deeply respectful.
That's all. Wishing you all so much love and light and just encouraging us all to stay in the very difficult feelings of these times right now and to just to be there and be present with it. Thank you, Sedna Fiati, and thank you so much to the Firecracker Social Justice Department. You know, this is such an important time in the world, and I'm so grateful to have folks like that in my corner as we dive into some deep learning and to help navigate Firecracker Department on a path that is full of integrity and purpose and heart and love. And I feel like we're doing that, and it's because of folks like that from the Social Justice Department and the entire Firecracker Department team. Everybody really puts their heart into everything to try and make every event, every post, every panel we have as inclusive and welcoming as possible. So thank you. Thank you so much to the core. I will also say that what we are learning about the children found on the residential school properties in Canada is not just part of Canadian history, it's part of our present day. And it's part of the story that we need to speak about now and tell the story. Tell the story today and tomorrow and help heal and support all the communities that must be suffering right now. You know, at Firecrack Department, we have this platform and it's building and it's strengthening. And I will also say that you have a platform too. Whether you have two followers or 20,000 followers or a dinner table full of ears, speak out. Share some love about these communities that need to know that they have allies out there and that need to have these stories spoken about. Uh, use your platform. You have the power. That's really an important thing to remember right now. And we have the facts. We have the facts that are going on. You've heard it in the news. And now it's a matter of taking action. We, as Firecracker Department, will not be celebrating Canada Day on July 1st. Instead, we'll be looking to shine our firecracker light on the Indigenous people, artists, like some of our past podcast guests, like the fabulous Tamara Pademski or Marie Clements. I loved those discussions with those folks. And we suggest you do the same. Of course, you can always go and support financially if you have the means. Do a search, of course, but one of the possible websites to do donations is canadahelps.org. But you do have the power on your platforms and you don't need money to support. Follow things on your Instagram. There's so many beautiful posts out there. And then share what you learn. I'm always game. If you learned something that you didn't know yesterday, send it to me. I'm always available. My ears are wide open. And when you have an event or a gathering of people, recognize the land territory. Super important. If you don't know what land you're on, go to native-land.ca and find out where you are. And also build on that. Find out a little bit more about the tribe. For example, I am on the Anishinaabe territory, and I know that that tribe is known for their birch bark canoes. And so now whenever I go for a canoe ride, you know I'll be thinking about them. And the word Anishinaabe means original person. Didn't know those things before. So dive a little bit deeper than just finding out what land you're on and find a way of supporting their sovereignty with our voices and our love. You know, we can't erase what happened in the past, but we can for sure change how we deal with it in the future and care for folks in the future. Our love and support go out to the Indigenous firecrackers and their community and beyond. And I'll say this, not lightly, not flippantly, but if there's anything that we can do as a strong and strengthening platform, please let us know. We are here for you, always.
Now, speaking of being here for each other, we have a regular segment in our intros called the Firecracker Shoutout, where folks like you can send us a little voice memo about somebody that you'd like to shine a light on. The Firecracker Shoutouts are easily one of my favorite things we're doing right now. Send any voice memo, including your name, the Firecracker's name and handle so that we know where to find them to firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com and we will get it part of the podcast and share some Firecracker love. Here's one from us today. Hi, it's Actioneer and Mentorship Department Head Veronica Martin, and I have four fantastic Firecrackers to shout out today with huge thanks from the entire Firecracker Department to Mika Collins, Sarah Dollard, Jillian Muller, and Karen Walton, who gave of their time and their energy and their knowledge to a whole bunch of enthusiastic participants at our mentorship event on June 19th. I cannot thank them enough. Thank you, Veronica Martin. Fantastic. See what I mean? You just end up feeling so great. I love the love. Just so you know, Jillian Mueller can be found on Twitter at Mueller Jillian and on Instagram at Jillian Mueller. Karen Walton can be found on Twitter at Inc. Canada and on Instagram at Hello I Write. Follow Mika Collins on Twitter and Instagram at Mika Collins with a Z. And Sarah Dollard on Twitter at Snaz, S-N-A-Z or Z, doll. And stay tuned for our next mentorship event announcements on our Facebook members group. If you want to be one of the first to know and reserve a spot because these events have been selling out, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter, firecrackerdepartment.com, and you will be first in line. Easy. I know, I talk really fast, and you're like, slow down, sneakers, those are a lot of links and things. Don't you worry, all those links will be found in our show notes so that your fingers don't have to move at the speed of sound. All right, here we go. It is Firecracker Spotlight time. We have a brand new Real Women's Network Creator Spotlight, and double whammy, it's also one of our Firecracker Department core team members. I am so so excited. Our guest on the show this week is Muslim actor, filmmaker, educator, and advocate Farah Marani. Oh, I just love Farah Marani so much. I'm squeezing. I'm pretending that she's here and I'm giving her a hug. Farah is one of the creators featured on the Real Women's Network streaming platform that we partner with. So after you're finished listening to this, you can watch her films directly on realwomensnetwork.com. It's like this beautiful Venn diagram, right? You've got the Real Women's Network and then you've got Firecracker Department, you've got Farah Marani. It's like pew pew, it's beautiful. Farah is brilliant, hilarious, inspiring. She is based in LA and Toronto sometimes. She's a graduate of the Drama Center in London and has performed in Canada and the US, throughout Europe and in Russia, which I didn't know until this discussion. She has been called by her peers as a revolutionary change maker in the film industry. I echo that. Yes, agreed. Farah is a Firecracker Corps member heading up the script department, which hosts a regular script reading series supporting women and non-binary writers. Farah brings her passion, oh my gosh, her passion for lifting other creatives up, for helping scripts, for helping you take that extra step. And you can just feel it at these script department events. It's so inspiring to hear the work coming from the Firecracker world. And you know when like a Zoom event feels electric? It's like a party. It's because of people that are running it, like Farah and her whole script department team. So, gosh, thank you, Farah. Thank you so much for bringing your love to the Firecracker gang and giving us the space to stretch our creative legs. 
I still remember sitting in a cafe with Farah in Los Angeles and we both sort of moved to Los Angeles and we were trying to find our community and we got together and I was like, well, you know, Firecracker Department is sort of a, a, a whiteboard of possibilities. So what do you want to do? And, and I know she's one of the founding members of the incredible organization, Women on Screen. And so we were talking about like what they did and how we can incorporate some sort of community event. And then Script Department was born and uh, it's been fantastic. When we were in Los Angeles, it was one of my favorite days of the month because we got to do these script readings and then we'd all go out for beers and laughs and nachos and get to know each other in the community. And it made my world feel so much more full. When we went online, now this cool things happen where we actually get to reach into the international ground and Farah and the script department team do such an amazing job casting such a wide net for actors that read these scripts. It's truly, truly an amazing thing. I feel so lucky for that first coffee, my friend Farah. Farah is also a member of our social justice department, which I must say is doing groundbreaking work right now, creating a more inclusive and collaborative space for everyone to be in. The social justice department's been meeting monthly and hosting power hour discussions, and Farah's contribution has created such a safer space where we can talk about anything and everything. And you know, that level of communication and transparency and dedication to learning, it's like, this is the kind of stuff that's going to change the future. I believe this. I truly believe this. Like discussions with other folks where you can make mistakes and learn, right? It's not just like walking carefully. It's like, it's like learning. I'm like actively learning. It's the, the most activity my brain has had in a long time. When I think of a leader in the community, Farah absolutely comes to mind. She's done so much to mentor her fellow filmmakers, mentor me. Gosh, I learned so much from everything that Farah does and um, I just loved our discussion. Not only is she one of our core members and this amazing creative, but she is also this amazing actor. I mean, gosh, I'm saying amazing a lot, but you know what? I stand by it. Some of her TV and film credits include Shadowhunters, Nikita, Lost Girl, Covert Affairs, Private Eyes, and the upcoming feature film, Eat Wheaties, featuring Tony Hale from Veep and Arrested Development. One of my favorites. Can't wait for that. She is currently pitching a show based on her family history called The Painted Muse and an animated series based on her pets called Telltales, featuring her cat Chekhov, who absolutely should be a starring role in this because Chekhov has joined us many times on our Zoom meetings. In fact, I don't actually remember a Zoom meeting when Chekhov's little tail hasn't gone by. I'm fairly certain that if you have a meeting with Farah at some point, Chekhov will make a guest appearance. So count yourself lucky. And get a load of this, you can follow Chekhov on Instagram. That's how popular Chekhov is. At Chekhov Cat. C-H-E-K-H-O-V Cat. In addition to being an actor, she has produced dozens of films with her company, Lifeguard Productions, co-founded the nonprofit organization I was speaking about, Women on Screen, and serves as a diversity and inclusion consultant for film and TV with her former co-chair of the Actor Toronto Diversity Committee. Presently, she is developing two series as well as writing a children's book and has been cast to star in the upcoming animated series, Confirm, where she'll be voicing a really cool character and you're gonna be able to check that out later this year. For now, Let's just start by getting to know this beautiful, brilliant, just boss of a person, Farah Morani. It's such a treat because normally we have meetings and chats about firecracker stuff. And now I get like 
a chance to be like, no, but really, how, how are you? And what are you doing? And I get like some real one-on-one far Marani time. So I'm pretty, pretty excited about that. Yeah, it is pretty great, isn't it? It's always a wonderful thing when you have yeah. work as an excuse to hang out with your friends because then it doesn't actually feel like work. It just feels like hanging out with your friends and you're getting stuff done, mm-hmm. which is like the best of both. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. 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 I actually think that when you miss your friends, you just have to start a project together and then you'll spend more time together. A hundred percent. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. I mean, if you think about it on a like global scale too, look at all the best movies that get made. It's always people hanging out with their friends. For example, the one that always, I always come back to is Ocean's Eleven. You can tell that every single person working on that movie is having the time of their life. Yeah. And they made a amazing funny engaging movie as a result because they were all friends yeah hanging out making a movie I do believe though that when when you have the opportunity to work with your friends it's just yeah it's the synergy of all the best things in the world I love it I do that's why like being a part of the firecracker department is just you know it's just like the coming together of pals and the expansion of that friend circle I've made so many great yeah. friends through Firecracker. I love that so much. <laughs> Farah, like it really? seems like a hundred years ago when we sat down and had coffee and be like, we got to build our community in Los Angeles. And they were like, yeah. wait a second. It's staring us right in the face. Yeah. So I have certain memories that are so vivid as if they were just yesterday. And then I have forgotten memories that I have no recollection of whatsoever like how did I meet somebody I like sometimes can't even remember but that meeting like that conversation I remember exactly where we were I remember the like misstep that I made and I went in the wrong direction and we were like late coming together and you had a dog thing and we came and we sat on the patio and it was like so we're here now what okay, well, I have this idea and I have this idea. Why don't we do this idea together? Oh. And it was like, it, that was truly a moment of magic in my life. Oh, I me too. really do believe that. And I'm so eternally grateful that we made that happen. Yeah. Cheer. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Ideas can't happen without, I know, buddy, I, but ideas can't happen. Ideas can't move forward unless people are saying yes to them. Like if you'd been like, I don't know like how much are you gonna pay me how much are we gonna make like you know your your intentions were all so positive and so artistically passionate it wasn't you know it's never been about the money it's about bringing folks together and I think also our visions were so in line Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's because I think it all comes down to this very simple ethos and I, I reflect on this all the time because when people when I tell people that I'm an actor and I'm sure you get this too, they're like, oh, that must be so hard. Or like the weirdest part is when I get, to, uh, so I have a few, especially later on in my life, I've become friends with other South Asian actors, female actresses. Mm-hmm. And I get people saying, but isn't that weird? Like, aren't you in competition with each other? Like, oh. isn't it weird? Or, oh, are you friends with the enemy kind of thing? And I'm like, guys. That's such the wrong attitude. It's like, we are, we are completely different types of people. We are nothing alike going out for the same roles because Hollywood has such a narrow idea of what South Asian women can play. And the 
heart of it though is exactly what I think we connected on, which is that the ethos that when you succeed, I succeed, and we all succeed together. You know, it's that idea of mm-hmm. all ships rise with the tide. And you yeah. know, the more that's on that your email, isn't support, it? Uh, no, on my email it says uh, this is something else that I reflect on deeply. It's that um, as a wave, how dare we tell the ocean what to do? So it's the idea that that we are a part of something so much bigger and we as humans are essentially like minuscule in our ability to affect change in the greater scope of the world and the universe. So that's what that is. (laughs) I mean, I feel like you do such intentional work constantly even with your like what we were talking about with your signature on your emails and things like that because mm-hmm. it reverberates right it, it doesn't yeah. like and this is i just i'm so i'm just so happy to have some time with you farah worse yet i haven't i feel like i haven't been in yeah. your presence in like lord knows how long and yeah. we used to see each other all the time no like it's it was so weird i think yeah that was a big uh loss in my life yeah going from seeing you at least at least once a month yeah right but we'd chat we'd have meetings we'd be like let's have a coffee and figure out next steps and all those things yeah um so what what is your world like these days I feel like I know your world in the time that I've known you of course and I know a little bit of background because before (laughs) you and I became friends I just knew I was a fan I knew I was a fan for your work with women on screen I knew I was a fan for your work as an artist slash activist and just being prominent in our community. But then here's the part that I want to know more about is your journey, like when you were in England and in Mm -hmm. Russia, because I feel like that is something I just only know like a little glimpse about. Yeah, totally. I'm happy to talk about that. It was a highlight. I mean, it's a highlight period of my life, truly. Um, Yeah, I think I... The decision to move to England. So the decision to move to England was partly inspired by my fear of coming to LA, (laughs) ironically. So I met this girl in an acting class and another South Asian actress. And she was already doing some work for like MTV and stuff. So she was getting into TV and I was always more theater bent. And she was like, I'm moving to LA. Like that, my opportunities now, I, this was like 2007. She's like, you should totally come with me. Like we should, we should just do this. And I was like, oh, I'm too scared. I don't, they're gonna, I'm going to get eaten alive. Uh, and I just didn't feel ready. So she moved to LA and I ended up looking at drama schools in England kind of as like a backup because I I actually really wanted to go to Stratford. So I auditioned for the Birmingham Conservatory and then I auditioned for five drama schools in England. And I wow. got into all five drama schools and I didn't get into Birmingham and I was devastated. So I was like, my country doesn't even want me. I have to go to England. Oh, I have to go to England. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah. I was like, great. Um, and I ended up choosing to Eric, I ended up accepting uh, the Drama Center in London, uh, namely because, and this was the, actually at the end of the day, this was the most important part of it for me, was that all of us students, we all paid the same tuition. So it wasn't a like school moneymaker for international yes. students, which 
it felt like some of the other programs were. And the other part of it was that it was all about classical acting from a variety of different periods and eras. And we got to like live it. So, you know, when mm -hmm. we did Shakespeare, we actually went to the Globe and we had a residency yeah. at the Globe Theater. Uh, when we did Chekhov, we went to Moscow and we spent like almost five, four months in, in Moscow. Like we spent an entire no term kidding. in Moscow. Yeah. Wow. So we got to like train with the, like there was a school there when we got to train with them and then we got to put on a show there at a theater. Like we got to live and experience it. And it was, I mean, imagine every experience on the spectrum and particularly I had it <laughs> like it was out it was wonderful it was exciting and yet it was terrifying and it was lonely and it was dark and it was light and it was fun and it was boring like it was just it was everything mm -hmm. and it really showed me I think I'd always had a like a a mind towards diversity and representation specifically inclusion the idea of being an insider versus an outsider, because I was definitely not an insider in Moscow, um, but I was perceived as two completely different kinds of outsiders. So on the one hand, I was regarded as a, an Indian princess and like lauded and praised for being this exotic beauty. And then on the other hand, I was treated like dirt like I was spat on I was refused entry in places I was harassed uh, I was mugged I like it was awful like it was so dichotomous it was yeah. so bizarre and you hadn't experienced that kind of thing before then not in those extremes like growing up in North Bay, there was not that kind of treatment yeah I mean there was yeah. definitely racism there I mean I was younger so I wasn't as aware of it naturally, mm -hmm. but I, I definitely inherited some of the, the trauma from that experience. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have the words to articulate it because it wasn't as overt. It was a lot mm -hmm. more insidious. Whereas in Moscow, it was like literally people spat on my feet, like, or like refused me entry. It was, it was so bizarre. That's mind blowing. Um, yeah. That yeah, must have really yeah, like it, shaken your foundation though. You know, this is, it's actually a very interesting concept that I've been thinking about and, and actually come up in conversation a couple of times. It's this idea of being novel. So like a part of my experience in Moscow was so unique to me that it feels special in like a really twisted way. Nobody else was relating to the world in the same way I was. Mm -hmm. And nobody was getting the attention in the same way that I was. And so there was a part of me that, and I, I can say this now looking back, because it's been about 10 mm -hmm. years, that yeah, a, a very like deep part of my ego kind of got off on it. Yeah. because it 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 like in, in a way it was like oh for once i'm being seen isn't that weird that though? was isn't that such a I mind mean, screw because you're like, being seen for a, things that you're like 
but that's not the treatment I want. Yeah. And, and in both yeah. cases, right? Like whether it was the princess or the dust, either way, it was like, well, I, you're still not seeing me. I'm still not being received mm -hmm. as who I am. And yet I'm at least I'm being seen. I'm not yeah. being ignored. What were your parents saying about your experience there? Because I can imagine they have had to deal with their own levels of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they had their, they've obviously had their own kinds of experiences. They've never really had anything of that sort. Um, they're very much of the model minority ethos. Put your head down, do your work, be the best at whatever you do so that you don't ruffle any feathers. And being an artist, right out of the gate, I was You're ruffling, ruffling feathers. feathers. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. There's almost a part of me that's like, well, I don't know how not to, because- Yeah, I'm, but if you're not, then you're not doing your job. Precisely, you know? Right. And it's interesting that that's even a, a part of what I've kind of wrestled with over the years, because I also carry this deep need to make sure other people are not offended, that other people are comfortable at my own expense mm -hmm. and you know in, in any kind of tribe in any community dynamic whether it's the immediate family or the larger community or you know the system that we live in those of us who've been raised to not disturb the peace to not shake up the status quo mm -hmm. there is a piece of us that persists in that and so mm -hmm. it was it was like I'm totally a Gemini when I say this, but like on the one hand, I was trying to keep other people comfortable and safe. And then on the other hand, I was trying to be that shit disturber that I know inherently I am. Like my, I said earlier, my mere existence as an artist at the age that I was coming around to, and that was breaking the norm. That was par for the course. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was a really delicate balance it was a real sophisticated dance so to speak trying to navigate all of these these different worlds and, and ways of being it was sometimes really exciting and then sometimes incredibly frustrating yeah i can imagine so but your time like in england and moscow and traveling in europe going to school and sort of like falling in love with acting probably because it was so yeah. exciting were you certain about your trajectory at that point or were you like i still may not be an actor no i was i was fully into it and i 100 percent believed in the thick of it that i was going to be a stage actor in england that i was going to do some tv and film but like larger epic scale move, movies or TV, because that's essentially what I was seeing on British television. Mm -hmm. That was a learning period for me of just what is available in the world as an actor. Mm. Um, and also I like, I was really into physical theater and devised theater. So there were all of these amazing theater companies that were doing such cool yeah. work. Like, you know, there was a company called Punch Drunk that was doing, uh, they, were, they did a piece in London oh. under Waterloo Station. They have Sleep No More in New York. Yeah. Like they were doing all these really cool site-specific yeah. pieces that was so exciting. Um, 
And I was like, this is like, that's my jam. Like, this is, this is what I want right. to do. And then, I mean, obviously my life had a different purpose and plan because I ended up coming back to Toronto, not under the best of circumstances. I was essentially denied a visa because I didn't get my visa in time to do, start a job. So I was, I mean, long story short, I had come back to Toronto to apply for my visa paid for the expedited processing, didn't get the visa in time to start rehearsals, had to pull out of the show, which essentially canceled my visa. And I was effectively stuck in Toronto and my life was in a storage unit in London. And I had just wow. put my first deposit wow. down for a new flat. So like my life was completely turned upside down uh, because yeah. I had no intention of moving back to Canada until I, you know, maybe got married or had kids or whatever else. Um, so yeah, I was back in Toronto and in that year, oh, this is kind of crazy. So in the end of 2011 into the summer of 2012, I was essentially homeless. Like I had no home of my own. Yeah. My life was in a storage locker. I was living on people's sofas. Like I was such a vagabond. <laughs> like I think about it now and I was like, holy crap. How? Um, a, I have amazing friends. Like my friends let me stay on their sofa. They rented a room out to me. They let me stay at their places like for almost 10 months. And wow. finally I, you know, settled in, at, in Toronto again. Um, but by the end of that first winter, I was like, nope, done. <laughs> I don't want another winter. Yeah. And uh, that's when I made the decision. Right. I think I need to come to LA. If I'm not going back to England, then I want to be in LA. And yeah, got the momentum started. That must that. have rocked your world though. That Because I think we have a vision, right? Like whether or not we admit it, whether or not we say it out loud, we have a vision of what our future is. And when that gets taken away, whether it's because of, like a job loss, a visa loss, a, a relationship mm -hmm. loss. It's so, it's so earth shattering. How did you tell me about that time in your life? How did that, how did you navigate it? And then how did it shape you? I think this was part of the blessing of the experience was that it, it wasn't like I had to pack up and move. I had to pack up and move right. because I was priced out of my flat because the Olympics were coming and my rent tripled. Uh, but I put everything in storage. I packed up a suitcase and I was like, this is, this is I'm, I'm going to be fine living out of these two suitcases for the next three months, because that's what I thought was going to happen. And then three months turn into six. And then at the six month mark, because in the middle of that, I went to Paris and I did a job in Paris for two weeks. I came back to Canada for a wedding. I was in well, I went. To, I was in Canada. I came, then I went to Paris, and then I was back in Canada for Christmas. Then I went to India for almost two months. So I was like doing a bunch of traveling. Mm -hmm. I was like, I need to fill my time with mm -hmm. something. And then all this while, thinking that I'm just gonna, you know, renew my visa and move into a new flat with my friend, come back to Canada just to reapply, because I'm gonna go back. Mm -hmm. And then when I got the denial, I was also like red flagged by the government so I wasn't allowed to go back that was really hard because it was at that point that I was like oh I'm not I'm not going back like that yeah. that's that's the end of my London chapter yeah holy crap that's like that's the end of this era mm -hmm. 
to I think to my benefit, as soon as I realized that I wasn't going back immediately, I kept it in the back of my mind. Like, okay, well, maybe in a year or whenever the red flag gets removed, I'll just reapply. Initially, that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, well, I'm in Toronto. I need to find an agent because I need to start working. Yeah. So that was the first thing. And fortunately, a friend of mine connected me with his agent. We hit it off. I signed with her and I booked a job right away. Great. So I was like, okay, first piece done. And then I was like, okay, yeah. now I yeah, need yeah. to find an apartment because all I want, I was like, okay, I just want a bookshelf. I just want to take these books out of my suitcase because I travel with like three or four books that are really important to me. <laughs> yeah. I just want to put always? my books on a bookshelf. Almost always. Yeah. The same books? Yeah. Same books. Okay. Yeah. Same um, books. Tell me, can you just before you finish the, all I want is a shelf discussion. Can you tell me what those four books are? Yes, of course. Uh, one is uh, my journal, obviously. Uh, one is a small book of poets, like a pocket book of Rumi's poetry. Mm -hmm. um, one is an illustrated book of uh, Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. And then the mm -hmm. fourth one typically shifts around. It was for the longest time, it was uh, uh, L'Etranger, The Outsider by Camus. I have this like completely beaten up, torn up uh, copy of, of that book because I just, I love it. And then the other book is The Count of Monte Cristo, uh, another completely beat up book that I have like notes mm. and stuff in. So all in, interestingly male that's, writers. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Got to revisit that. I mean, I think that's a reflection well, except of my- for the journal. Except for the journal, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Um, but I do have two like uh, Central Asian writers in there, <laughs> so or like uh, yeah. Egyptian and Central Asian writers. So yeah. I'll, I'll take that. As... So all you wanted was a shelf to put these books on. Yeah, that's right. All I wanted was a shelf to put my books on and unpack my suitcase. Yeah. So I finally found a I found a roommate. I was actually responded to a Craigslist ad, and oh I ended God. up meeting who would ultimately become such a dear friend of mine and a fellow actor at the same wow. agency like it was it was total kismet um and I mm -hmm. ended up introducing her to her husband so like you know full circle <laughs> wow yeah yeah I can imagine then you're like okay now it's time to get to work to build my world in Toronto for the length of time that I'm going to be there so is that what you did because I mean you started immersing yourself into the community you're not somebody that just sits back yeah. and waits for your community to come to you yeah uh I was lucky at that point that an old friend of mine had, and some of his friends had started this collective of young filmmakers. And so I got absorbed into that community. And it's through, through that world that I met Lauren McKinley, who would ultimately be one of the co-founders of Women on yep. Screen with me, because we started an, like another version of that first. And then that tanked and we were like, but this is such a great thing. We have to keep doing this. So then we brought in, well, I think Kira had already been a part of the other one. And then, yeah. So anyway, we came together and we created uh, women on screen officially in 2014. Um, and it was, it was through this wonderful community of like-minded people, very much like uh, firecrack department, except it was led by three dudes which en ended up becoming two dudes and me, right? So see a trend, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, <laughs> when I don't like how things are run, I like, I'm not ashamed of stepping up and sharing some of my thoughts and ideas end up becoming a platform upon which I stand and become a leader. So I've noticed this pattern throughout my life. And that was definitely a period where I was yeah. exercising and exploring different kinds of leadership and found that, okay, this is a place, mm -hmm. this is a world that I want to, I want to exercise that even more in. So women on screen just came out naturally out of that. And is that when you realized that you were uh, not only just an act, not just, is that when you realized you were an actor slash activist? Yes. So it had started the bug. I think it got bit by the bug in, in England. Um, mm -hmm. I had joined. So a couple of different things, the two most important ones being, I joined the off West end Awards. So it's, it's in a, it's a, it's a jury system basically that goes out and watches all of the off West end productions, like every mm -hmm. single one. And then there's deliberations there are deliberations and we decide who wins whatever category. So I was one of the reviewers and I immediately started seeing that there were two things happening. One, not enough representation and then B, very specific kinds of representation. So I, I started noticing that on the London stages and it inspired me to join at the time, I don't know if they still call it this, but in England, uh, non-whites are called British minority ethnics, BME. Wow. So I, okay. I joined the BME committee at Equity and started learning a little bit about the policy and, and you know, what was happening in the British system. One of the first things I did when I came back to Toronto around those early days was I joined Actors Diversity Committee. So, because I was like, I'm learning so much about the industry in London or in, in England by being a part of this committee, I need to do the same thing in Toronto because I don't, I've been out of Tor the Toronto system for so long. Yeah. I needed to find a way back in. And also it was like an opportunity to, to meet other actors and to feel like I had, a purpose because I didn't yeah, you know community. I, I community exactly yeah it's um, so important to you Farah like uh, everything that you've done like I can see it and everything that you do whether it's from women on screen to like us with the work with firecrack department I can see the community element like mm -hmm. it doesn't surprise me that you're like how do I find the folks that are <laughs> going to be my 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 people yeah I, and that was exactly it. So yeah. by getting involved in ACTRA's diversity committee, I think I really found a clearer sense of purpose and expanding that idea of, okay, I'm an actor, I can be an activist. And then that made me a little uncomfortable. So then I was Why? like, well, maybe I'm more of an advocate. Why were you uncomfortable with activism? I think it had more to do with the energy behind what an activist entails and the approach. Cause in, for me, I've always, I've often felt like an activist is there's an element of confrontation involved, right? There doesn't have to be, but there often is because it's, and there's a, there, it's important. There's value to that. You know, the people protesting, holding up signs is so important because it's how voices get heard. So the idea of an activist is so often 
tied to this idea of breaking down a barrier or or like a little bit of aggression like forward movement mm-hmm. and at the time especially i was just coming into and learning what that part of the world was in me mm-hmm. and i again didn't want to ruffle any feathers didn't want to make other people uncomfortable so when i heard the term advocate i was like ooh that's more of a me kind of word because as somebody who is very particular about language the idea yes. of expressing myself as an advocate felt so much more inclusive right seeing these themes yeah. started popping up right so it's not so much about the fight it's more about i love how you said bringing people to the table joining and aligning with people who share similar values that became so much more important to me and has become a very deep vein in in the work that i've done so it's through yeah. the diversity committee at actra that i really found my my advocacy arm and the other interesting thing that happened is i started realizing that when i introduced myself as an actor people's eyes would either glaze over or roll in their in their heads and then as soon as i told them i was an advocate they're like oh what are you an advocate for and it would start right. a whole different kind of conversation that i was genuinely much more interested <laughs> in having as that's, well yeah so that's so interesting cuz usually like the act if you say i'm an actor you're like well what have you been in and then you just feel like you're giving somebody a, a resume list but if you say i'm an advocate what are you advocating for is like a really interesting discussion yeah and then it's mm-hmm. also an opportunity to have a conversation about things that are important to me that are mm-hmm. not just about my resume or about my background or i mean yeah there's a little bit of my background in there in the mix naturally but it's not the the center talking point central talking right. point if you say if i say that oh yeah i'm i'm an advocate and i co-founded an organization called women on screen it's like oh well that's interesting what is what do you do what what is women on screen about i just feel like it gave me especially in that in that specific time it gave me a sense of like it gave me a sense of rooting myself into something purposeful into something really meaningful um because i i i judged myself for a long time and felt like being an actor wasn't good enough or wasn't enough yeah. in the world and yeah. by being a part of women on screen it was like validating and justifying my entry into the arts from a from a more respectable perspective which yeah. now i, mean, I realize it goes they go hand in hand they have to go hand in yeah. hand for me Well, I mean, did you find that when you I totally agree with you. Um did you find that when you got settled in Los Angeles because Los Angeles is such a focus on your acting and now you're starting to find your community again there. Toronto was a great like experimenting ground in terms of how to build a community through something purposeful as opposed to just self-promotion. Mm-hmm. And I was and I've always been very uncomfortable with self-promotion at its at its heart even though i know it's important 
I've become a lot more accepting of how it supports me and in, in my career pursuits. Early on in my career, I avoided it. Like I didn't, I didn't want to be, A, I didn't want to be seen as a stereotypical Indian girl. So I cut off all my hair and I had piercings. Like I just, I did not mm -hmm. look, I broke my appearance right. from the tradition. And then I did, I've never wanted to be, which is what I say quite regularly now when I teach is the, the one trick pony. Never have I ever wanted to be that one trick pony. So I was, I was like, okay, well, what else can I do that will support me in a quieter way or in a more subtle way? And yeah, Toronto gave me the opportunity to like, okay, well, I run this, I'm now a part of this organization. I can meet other people and I can start developing content and creating content that will, that will support me and then also support other people. And, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about like everybody lifting each other up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, rising with the tide. Yeah. What I then yeah. realized was that in the Toronto market, especially at that time, the idea of actors doing anything other than acting was kind of uh, not necessarily poo-pooed, but I think it confused people. Because okay. uh, I remember going to a party and I had made a bunch of friends through the women on screen world as a producer because I'd started producing content. And when I made a comment about having gone to drama school, they're like, wait, you're an actor? I was like, I've known you for two years and you've never seen my work? Oh, right, because I've never told you and I've never promoted myself. Right, right, right. Well, that's that so, ruffling the feathers thing. Exactly. Well, let me ask exactly. you then, Farah, like about that element of you, like, because that Gemini quality of like being a shit disturber, but also not wanting to ruffle feathers, which is like, <laughs> must be a constant conflict in yourself. But how do you navigate that? Like, I don't think you're alone with that kind of thing of like, let's keep everything at peace. But I think it's changed. Like, or can you feel like you're, you're changing now that you don't mind ruffling feathers? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And a part of it, I think a part of it does come with age. I mean, that's a given, right? Age yeah. experience will obviously shift perspectives. That evolution has happened in me because of what I have gone through. A part of what I really have found myself settling into is this idea that I can't always make everyone happy. And as Tell long as more. that, I know, right? Like it sounds so simple. <laughs> no, you're not. No, I'm just saying it's, you know, I, I mean, God, we're, we're people pleasers though, right? You, we're yeah. actors because we want to be in front of an audience and we want the audience to be like, we like you. Clap, 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 yeah. clap. So it's, it's not, you've been trained to be what you I are right exactly now. It's not it. your fault. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We've been trained, right? So this idea that for, and for so many years of my life, this idea of, pleasing others or of serving the idea of what others had for me was essentially what drove me and also gave me some of the ambition and discipline and yep. education that I've been blessed to have. 
recognizing that that is only a part of my purpose in life. My purpose in life is not to make sure other people are happy and comfortable with who I am. Mm-hmm. My purpose in life truly is about finding the most authentic version of myself in a way that honors where I've come from and yet pushes the boundaries of what I envision for myself because I can, I'm so much bigger than I've let myself be for so many years. And as I let go of that need to be the person that others think I should be, so much more of myself comes through. And as a result, and this is like the, the, the catch 22 of it all. It's like the more I, it, and it's, again, it sounds so simple to say it, so challenging in, in practice the more authentically Mm -hmm. I am myself, the more I get to do what I love to do. And the more the people around me see me for whom I, who I am without conflict, like without resistance. Yeah. It's so easy. easy. Why haven't we been doing this all along? (laughs) But I mean, a part of it is why weren't we told this when we were younger? Well, I think it's because our parents didn't know this, right? Like the people who came before us, at least in in my world and what I see is yeah there was an idea of how we are supposed to be that just gets perpetuated and I actually had a a a psychic tell me that I'm a cycle breaker that like part of my soul's purpose is to break a cycle I love that so I was like oh yeah that's interesting but I mean come on we grew up with um what's the song from be yourself you can't be anybody. <laughs> What's who's that? What, what's that from? I forget who sings that. Oh my gosh. All right, I'll have to fact check that. But like we, somewhere along the lines, we get off track and the song changes to be what people want you to be. You can't be yourself anymore. Obviously the lyrics yeah. not scanning properly, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know where that happened. Can you, can you look back in your, in your journey and see a time when you were off track and then you got back on track? Um, I think the, the period of time where we become self-aware, which is Mm -hmm. around puberty, right? We become Mm -hmm. hugely hyper-focused on our relationship to others and our sense of belonging gets Mm -hmm. entrenched need. It's not even a, a sense. It's like this deep need to belong and to be accepted. So definitely my adolescence, um, which was, I mean, like anybody, it was not wonderful. It was amazing, and yet it was horrible. Um, So I know that was a period where I started losing touch with myself. Um, And it did, it manifested itself in some very self-destructive habits that it Mm -hmm. took me a long time to undo. It has taken me time, and it's a constant, I don't want to say it's a struggle because it's not a struggle because there's not no but you're aware of them right you're yeah aware of the uh and like only speak about what you're comfortable speaking about but I think that's across the board like Mm -hmm. you know whether it's eating habits or whether it's it's like how we see ourselves and then how we see ourselves somehow we think that's not enough yeah absolutely absolutely and especially at that period of time where we are I mean, hormones are raging. Our bodies are changing. We're like 
inundated with this flux of knowledge, which never really happens again in life, right? Like we're never truly in a situation yeah. like school where all we're doing is learning ever yeah. again, especially at such a like hotbed point in our lives and in our bodies. Yeah. So of course, we're all going to be overstimulated in every sense. And yeah. in my case, I became hypercritical of myself. Um, everything, there were, you know, the feeling, it's, I sometimes felt like I was a classic case of like wanting to, want, uh, feeling like I was losing control of the world and then taking control of the one thing I had, which was my body, how I fed right. it, how I exercised it, and how I dressed it. One thing was taken away from me, which is how I dressed it because I went to a private school and we had uniforms. So right. self-expression therefore got channeled into other ways. And being an athletic individual, I took a lot out of my inner life, you know, in the gym, I played volleyball on the volleyball court. And I, I was a dancer for the earliest days of earliest years of my life. And it's actually, it's interesting to me because it totally coincides when I let go of, when I walked away from a little bit of my artistic need to express myself, yeah. I became incredibly self-involved and insecure, emotionally unwell. And then when I started bringing dance back into my life, which was towards the end of my high school career. And I also, that's when I really discovered theater. It was in my last year of high school that I really found the power of performance. Yeah. I think that was when I decided, I was like, okay, I need to do this for my life. Like, I, I don't wanna do anything right. else because I, I just got reaffirmed by this experience of being on stage and having my mother run up to me after like enveloping me in a hug, thinking that I was a drug addict. And yeah. I was like, mom, I'm acting. And she was like, my poor baby. And like, I tracked, no, oh really? seriously. Um, oh my the God. play that we were doing was called Raft of the Medusa. And I was playing a homeless junkie with AIDS who had just come out of prison and lost her child. Oh this is God. like an 18 year old playing this. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. sure. So close to home. I love this. Yeah. Right. So close yeah. to home. So I, I did all my research too. I like, I was in and out of the hospital myself. And so I was seeing and exploring the hospital on my own time. And I ended yeah. up meeting some people who were in treatment for HIV and for AIDS and you know, I learned because I was a drug addict in this show. I learned how to tie a band around my arm and sh like cook cocaine. And my dad found me practicing in my bedroom and was like, what? Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Shit. Oh my um, God. And was like, you are never bringing this home. Leave it at school. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I probably should. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was in the, the process of it that I was like learning so much about this world. And then in the doing of the play, having my mom rush up and envelop me in a hug, tears pouring down her face, wow. um, a psychiatrist handing my mom her card saying that oh I specialize in kids with drug addiction, my, my guidance counselor coming over and saying, my door is always open to you. And, wow. I was like, nice. like, and you're like, I'm, I'm a great actor. You're <laughs> such a good actor, right? <laughs> well, that wow. was, I was like, 
A student. I was a prefect. I was head of the the the, the house, like in the private school system. I was like the head girl of my house. I was like, I was doing fine, guys. I'm gonna go to an Ivy League school, and wow. behold, everybody thinks I'm a drug addict because of one performance. <laughs> and I was like, this is it. This is what I need to do. Yeah. And still, I wasn't comfortable owning it. I like, I like, I lied to my parents about what I was applying to for university until I started getting invitations for drama schools. And I remember my dad coming home with kidding. Yeah. With a letter saying, why do you have a letter from Windsor? And I was like, I got an audition. (laughs) And he was like, audition for what? And I was like, yeah. So remember how I put communications and journalism and English on my applications? Well, I changed it all to theater and I want to do theater. And he was like, uh, Okay, for your first degree, really okay you can do what you want. <laughs> it was like, for your first degree, you can do what you want, but your second degree, then we talk. Right. And then I eventually realized that I didn't want it. I mean, I didn't realize it. I always knew it, but I just let yeah. myself say it out loud. Yes. I want to be an actor. I want to be an artist. And I sat my dad down. It was Thanksgiving, I think my second or third year of university. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to go do a, a second degree. It must have been my third year because I would have had to start preparing for LSATs because my dad's line for the longest time was, well, you know, you can still do law. Um, right. And I was like, the only way that I'm, that you're ever going to see me as a lawyer is the day you see me on law and order. Right. And he didn't really yeah. have a response to that. So he's kind of held me up to it. Every That's time like- I book a job as a lawyer, I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah but that takes that takes a lot of courage and bravery like you know like I know you're your own person but having the support of your parents along those first steps when you're uncertain as your own on mm-hmm. your own that must yeah. have been really hard yeah and I mean it was still it's like it's touch and go as well throughout it has yeah. been touch and go because like all our parents want all my parents want all any parent wants really is for their child to be healthy, safe, and mm-hmm. prosperous, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's, that's ultimately all we want for ourselves. And I know that when we, when we pursue a path that is so unfamiliar to our parents, the level of anxiety skyrockets because they don't have a reference point. They don't yeah, have, yeah, yeah. they don't know. And we don't know, I didn't know because nobody had done it before me. Nobody had showed me how to do any of the things that I was pursuing. So I truly had to figure it out, figure it all out on my own Mm -hmm. and find the people who were doing something similar and try and do it like them. And yet most of the people I was looking up to and following looked nothing like me. I was going to say there was no like south asian representative that you could be like like her yeah even even like black actors like that was the closest thing that i ever sure. connected to like jody from today's special was like one of my favorite characters on tv because she was the first woman of color i remember seeing on tv it right. was huge yeah. for me like i used to think that she was my mom's secret sister because i thought they looked alike and like I you know that. that was oh my gosh do you good. think that acting kind of saved saved you a little bit like you were saying you popped in and out of you were in and out of hospitals 
was that due to like being sort of self-destructive and then that found yeah. your path out yeah yeah that's so yeah, fucking totally. exciting though I mean yeah totally I, I think that truly when I started allowing myself giving myself the permission to accept the fact that I am an artist at heart and that I need to have a creative outlet. It not only helped me physically by, you know, by getting me in spaces with other people who were doing the thing that I was wanting to do. It also, mm -hmm. I think it released like an anxiety that I was carrying because I was, the closest I have to imagine is like what people who are hiding their sexual identity or hiding anything that is so intimately connected to who they are as a person, it mm -hmm. felt like a coming out in essence. Like I was hiding for so mm -hmm. long, this very real identity of this very real need to be an artist because I was afraid of how I would be received by my tribe, by my community. And then when I, yeah when I let that go, or I started to let that go, that's also been its own process. But when I started to let that go, it was like feeling more comfortable in who I was and who I am and doing things that allowed me to explore. And I think this is why being an actor is such a blessing that we get to explore so much of human nature that the rest of the world has no idea like we get to live it we get to experience it we get to try it on we get to process things in ourselves through another person and then with practice let that other person go and come back to ourselves richer and wiser and all of those things like richer and wiser yeah because of that experience are, are you where you thought you would be at this point in your life? No way. <laughs> I have so much further along than I ever imagined in some ways. And then I am nowhere near where I want to be in other ways. And yet when I come down to the brass tacks of it, I'm a working actor living in Los Angeles with a person whom I love, a cat and a dog surrounded by plants. I mean, yeah. I'm kind of living a dream, right? A dream that I had no idea I even wanted or could have imagined. And yet it's still a dream. I, and I have to remind myself of that because it's true. Like, yeah, I, I'm living a version of a dream that I could never have dreamt when I was 12 years old living in North Bay, the only little girl of color in my dance company, or in like in drama school, being in England, thinking that I was going to be on the, you know, make my life purpose being on the West End or at the RSC or, yeah, you know, whatever else that I had envisioned for myself then, you know. Don't you miss theater so much? Oh. I mean, not only, not only because of the pandemic, but because like in Los Angeles, I, I just, the theater community in Los Angeles, they're amazing, but it's few and far between and people are waiting to get booked on film and TV. So it's not yeah. as revered as someplace like London or Toronto or New York. Yeah, absolutely. So how are you I satisfying mean, that, that element in you? Cause I, yeah. 
I know you're writing fully. Uh, I am, I've been so, so blessed and so lucky to have become ensconced in this community of theater artists in LA in a company called the Ensemble Shakespeare Company. And I did, a, I was in a production of Midsummer Night's Dream two summers ago. And it was the most magical experience I've ever had of Shakespeare, of Midsummer Night's Dream specifically because we did it at dusk in this gorgeous park called the Descanso Gardens. And I, and the, it was site specific, audience was moving through it. We were running around. Like it was, I felt like I was back in theater school. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this, this group of theater artists throughout the pandemic, we've been coming together on a weekly basis. Initially, it was just like, guys, we need each other. We need yeah, to do some yeah. theater. We need to like make something together. We just need to hear Shakespeare. Um, and then it became like, well, let's do something. Let's make a thing. So then we started making a thing for Zoom. And then it shifted to this theater company called The Lineage just built its first purpose-built theater space. And it's beautiful, it's in Pasadena. So Ensemble Shakespeare now has a home where we can wow. put stuff on. So yeah, we're in the process of devising and creating Shakespeare-inspired pieces, uh, bite-sized pieces that we're, we're hopefully gonna present by the end of the summer. So, I mean, frankly, theater is alive and well. And yeah. the blessing also of being in California is the weather. We can do theater outside all year long. Was, so there has been an, an ounce yeah. of that peppered throughout the year. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to get back up on stage. I love uh, it. And no, there's nothing so like it. I miss seeing it. I miss standing in the lobby at intermission and everybody frustrated or in love with the performance and I miss it all so much uh, when the lights are coming down oh my gosh yeah I didn't think I'd miss it this much mm -hmm. the announcement to like please turn off your cell phones the show is about to I love it all <laughs> I love it all uh, what's the thing that's out of balance for you then because I always feel like you know this this I don't know this journey for balance is pretty unattainable so is yeah. there something that for you, you're like, oh, I need more of this and less of this in my life? Um, I mean, a part of it is pandemic related. I want to be in a rehearsal room. Yeah. I want more yeah. time creating with people. I want more time playing and lying and rolling on the floor, making weird sounds to like find my character and have it be directed towards something personal because I could do that in my room anytime in fact I do sure. that so yeah. you know I also <laughs> I've been teaching so much and a lot of what I've been teaching has been the things that I want to be doing myself which is like rolling around and making noises and spending 20 minutes to do a roll down and a roll up because like I know. we used to do that every day in school, <laughs> you know or in rehearsals I love how we um, have this like pining for a roll down I pine for a roll down <laughs> Yeah. Good. So right um, after this, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna just go for it. I'm gonna do my own little roll down. Do it. Do it. Some pas and hums and pas oh, yeah. and all that good stuff. Yes. Um, yeah, I really miss being in a rehearsal room. Yeah, and I want to. I want to learn a new skill that's related to work. That's like Ooh, either related like what? to like 
I mean, I used to horseback ride a lot and that's been coming up that I really want to get back on a horse. And I want to get back on a horse, not just because I love being on a horse, but because it's, I'm working towards something. Cause there's like, you know, there's a role or there's an opportunity or there's, uh, I don't know, there's something that I, there's like a, you know, if it's a competition, like I need, I need something that I want to, I want to be working towards something. So I get it. Yeah. I need to get up on a horse too. So that's oh it. Oh my gosh. Farah, this is speaking it into existence. <laughs> this isn't long enough to talk to you. I have so many more qu- questions and thoughts, and I just miss hanging out with you so much. I've missed yeah. so many got a chance to see each other face to face. And yeah, and, um, you're so you're so igniting. Like you're such an igniter for me. Even like coming up with like you know the meeting that we just had with the partnership with the uh, Sheridan alum supporting their BIPOC bursary that's coming up but not just that like you come up with ideas that are so connected and pushing things forward like it's really it's a it's a real treat to spend time with you in any capacity thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart because it is so fully reciprocated and so deeply reciprocated yeah I just adore you. Very lucky. I don't know. I don't know where we met. I don't even know the. I just know that we've been friends forever. So I don't actually remember the moment that we met. I don't know the very first time that we met. I do know that one of our first conversations was a night that you hosted for us at Women on Screen, and you were wearing this gorgeous yes. red dress. And we had a really solid conversation that night. That was the first time that I was like, "Oh yeah, she's one of my people." Like yeah. we were kind of peripheral yeah. by then because I know we've yeah. gone to TIFF parties and like met each other that yeah. way throughout the years. Yeah. But that specific night, I was like, yep, I like, I like yeah. this one. Yeah. Back at you. I remember hearing your name so much with women on screen and then the work you were doing with Lauren and those folks. And uh, I just was like, oh, I want, I want to be part of that. Like, mm-hmm. It just was so exciting. And then when I hosted, I was like, it was such an honor because again it's like it's purposeful work it's purposeful igniting engaging work that can only serve you as well like you Mm -hmm. know when we do these things we do these events whether it's a script department event it just reverberates back to spark your next thing so totally right totally totally yeah all right look we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up with two things we're gonna wrap it up you can ask me a question so there's some sort of a table turning going on and then i'll do some wrap-up questions fire away Okay. Or far away. Oh, snap. That could be something. That could be something. That, 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 I mean, there's a reason why I say far, like far away. Yes. Yes. Right. There's something in that too. Fire yeah. away. Love far it. away. I like that. <laughs> um, okay. My question for you. Um, number one, how do you have the bandwidth? to hold so much space for so many people. Where does that come from in you? Um, I, I think it's, it's reciprocated. Like I don't, I don't feel like I'm just putting out energy. I think that the folks that I'm putting out energy that I'm not getting anything back, I have fewer of those folks around me. Mm. So even if it's like, and also like what, what goes around comes around. So if I'm putting a lot out, 
to somebody else, like I also am, you know, learning to receive as well. I say learning because, you know, we're, we're not always great at that. And I also yep. say that like, it's exciting. Like to me, the best thing I know, I'm, I know you feel the same way about community. Like the best thing in the world is when you put out the bandwidth, the energy and things come back in a community mm. sense, in a empowering sense. Like to me, the best thing in the world is when one of the firecrackers lets me know that like this connection has happened Yeah, because of what we're building. Like that to me is like, wow. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I, uh, uh, I, I also try to look after myself. Like I also try to turn off and make sure that I'm not just putting out that I make sure I, uh, I sit and look at the water and I do things that are just for me too. Mm. Um, yeah. It's my mom too. My mom and my, both my folks were such um, community oriented people and always putting others, being mindful of others. That was a huge part of my childhood. Mm -hmm. Blue space. My mom and I were just talking about that recently, the importance of having blue space. We so talk about much. like when you're, space. yeah, the blue space, like when you were talking about these different um, quotes that at the beginning of this discussion about the water, like they're so relevant to me. And I know Emily Churchill from our wellness department will talk about being a Pisces because I'm a mm -hmm. Pisces, but like, I think it's so good for me to see water even if it's a glass of water, I just know I need it. I need it in my yeah. life. It feels so, yeah. yeah. It makes it, that's why we bring water into our homes, right? We have fish tanks and we have yeah. fountains because I think there's a really primal need for us as beings to hear and feel and be near water. Mm. I so love I, blue I space. That's that. such a great thing. Mm. Yeah. 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 Green space and blue space. All right. Let's do our wrap up questions. Here we go, ready? Yes, yeah. So fill in the blank for me, a firecracker is? Someone who gets lit up by other people and then strives to light them up too. I love that you just said that so much because I think it's so important that when you recognize you're receiving that you turn it around and give back somehow. I think that's yeah. so and that's so our like our thoughts with firecracker isn't it yeah 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 100 okay. i just adore you okay what do you want to be best known for farah marani inspiring others to believe in their voice and their place in the world love it love it um if this was a movie if your life was a movie what's been a turning point of your movie uh oh my gosh there have been so many an early turning point a mid turning point a late turning point what whatever comes to your mind right away well the first turning point was when i stopped dancing mm -hmm. i think that was a major turning point in my life which was around 12 13 13. yeah yeah and why did you stop we moved cities so we left north bay and we moved to ottawa and the school, the, the ballet school that I had wanted to belong to and join, they wouldn't put me at the level that I should have been. They wanted to bring me down. And I was really upset by that. Um, I mean, and it's a turning point because I, instead of joining the dancing school, the ballet school, I ended up joining a speech and drama school. So like a theater an after school theater school. So 
it opened yeah. me up to the world of theater in a way that I had never experienced. So a, an important turning point. I love it. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, what's something that people don't know about you? Uh, that I'm a stamp collector, a philatelist. Are you kidding me? Nope. I have so many stamps for you. <gasps> I just got me so excited. I really did not know that about you. My father was a stamp collector. Really? And I keep finding like, yeah, a bunch. I'll, I'll, yeah. Okay. So another got your name on it. Part two, I can show you, but I can't show anybody else because it's a podcast. But I actually have a tattoo of the blue nose. If you can kind of see that. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it's taken from the back of a 1928 stamp, which is one of my most prized stamps. It's the etching from the stamp that I have on me. Wow, I had that. I love that question so much. I had no idea. I had no idea. <laughs> now you do, and the rest of the world does. Oh, okay, <laughs> we have more stamp. We have more stamp discussions to have. Um, I tried to right. be a stamp collector. I just didn't have it in me. Uh, <laughs> What, um, what's something that you haven't done yet, but you know, you have to do get married. Yes, my friend. And yeah. then I'm going to talk to you after you get married and then you'll be like, now I've got another thing. Yeah. Well, it's coming up soon. So, so yeah, you know, that's going to be, so that's going to be ticked off very soon. Amazing. Um, and then the next tick will be like, stay married. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not kill my That's husband. So okay. <laughs> I mean, the um, other things that I was thinking of were all like travel yeah, related things, but that's like so dependent on the world. Yeah. So. I get it. What's been your favorite mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? Uh, my favorite mistake was not giving somebody a chance when I first met them. And some of the most important people in my life are those people because I judge them, which is a mistake. And then when I got to know them, I learned to love them. Good one. Yeah. Um, who's a firecracker in your world that we can mm. shine a light on? Okay, so this is partly because I just saw her this morning. She has become such an important person, not only in the script department, but also in my life, in women on screen. We are building a thing together called the Fearless Filmmaker Program. Lauren Shell is 100% the embodiment of a firecracker mm. who has so much strength and talent and wisdom and vulnerability that I've never seen somebody have the ability to spin the positive in a really authentic way all mm. the time. Even yeah. when things are falling to shit, she's like, yeah, okay. That's what this is. Uh, and I'm just going to deal with it. And I yeah. admire and respect the shit out of her. Oh my God. Yes. I echo that tenfold she's incredible we're so lucky to have her on the firecracker department yeah. core team oh my gosh yeah i also okay so i do want to add this because this is such an important piece of my life and that's the women of women on screen 
They yeah. are like my OG firecrackers because uh-huh. I did not know what making a real change in the world would look like until I met them, Kira Murphy and Lauren McKinley. Uh, they are so, so, so important to me. Mm-hmm. And Natalie Lashinska, who's part of the inspiration for women on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also our like associate newer members, yeah. Largin Korstik. Korstecki and Jen Pogue. I'm just getting emotional thinking about them and being firecrackers. Like I said, as the OG is, I mean, they've changed my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. Amazing. Extraordinary, extraordinary human beings. We are so, Truly. I mean, women on screen, those, those people that are the founders and the associates, as you said, uh, I think they've changed our community. I think they're incredible. Yeah. 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 And artists and their own self. Like they're like not just people that have started women on screen, but also like extraordinary artists that are changing the world in the various tentacles that they were. Yeah. Or literally even changing the world because Kira's in the Navy. Like she's literally changing the world. Right. (laughs) Like protecting us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um, all right. Final question is what advice, advice you would have given to your younger self? Uh Advice to my younger self would have been, would be, okay. Uh, Advice to my younger self is receive what people offer and then let go what you don't want, what does not serve you. Not everybody. How are you doing with that now? Uh, It's still in practice. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah, it's still in practice. I think if I had, if somebody had said that to me at a younger age, if somebody had said to me, Far, it's okay to receive somebody's advice. You don't have to take it. You can let it go. Trust your instinct. I think I would have made somewhat of a different series of choices in life. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I think I would have so got much. to where I may have got to where I am a little quicker earlier in life, but hey ho, well, how we go. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I was thinking also, um, the bandwidth question is also like that I I have a lot of bandwidth because I'm not in this alone. Mm-hmm. Like, look at us. We're creating something that yeah. is because of all of us coming together. Like, it's not like I'm like waking up at six in the morning, going to sleep at five o'clock in the morning, having a good solid 60 minute nap in between and working tirelessly. No, like, look at all the folks, look at your team with script department, look at the writing department. Like it's all these people that are jumping on board with a really exciting vision. So it's, I'm not alone. That's why you have bandwidth. It's because you spread it out. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I just love you so much. I'm so, so grateful to have you in my life, my friend. Likewise. Likewise, so, so, so much. I love these discussions with the core members so much because I feel like I know them on one level. And then when we get to dive a little bit deeper into these podcasts, it's just, oh, it makes my heart sing. And then sharing them with you, ah, it's the best. Yeah, there's like fireworks going off in my heart right now. 
You can see Farah in season four on Station 19 on ABC and follow her on Twitter at Farah M-E-R and on Instagram at F-A underscore me. Women on Screen, which Farah co-founded, is on Twitter and Instagram at Screen W-M-N. And over there, you can find out about workshops and grants and all the amazing stuff happening with our friends at Women on Screen. Love, love the work they're doing. Super important, super exciting. And you go to any of those events, those Women on Screen events, and you're like writing a script on your way home. That's how inspiring they are. You can stream Farah's work on realwomensnetwork.com, including Just a Prayer, where Farah was the executive producer, writer, and lead actor, as well as Room for Her, which Farah wrote, produced, and directed. Farah's work with the script department has made those events some of the busiest and most exciting, and she's always bringing in amazing talent, which I just love it because it's my world getting bigger. Just because of folks like Farah, my world, I start to meet all these different actors that I've never met before. It's fantastic. Quick reminder that tickets for the next script department reading July 25th are available now on Eventbrite at the link in our bio and in our show notes. Come meet Farah. Watch a couple of scripts come to life. And of course, make sure, make sure you are following Real Women's Network. Find them on Instagram at Real Women's Network or on Twitter at Real Women's N-E-T-W and the number one. In all cases, just check our show notes. We got you. We'll be bringing you a new creator from the Real Women's Network every month. So watch out for these voices and check out what's available to stream now at realwomensnetwork.com. Don't forget to get all the information and to get to be one of the first people to know because our newsletter always has the most current information. Sign up at www.firecrackerdepartment.com and follow us at firecrackerdept for updates and sneak peeks about what's coming up next because you know we got a lot going on. All right, everybody, go on out there, look after yourselves, look after each other. If you're feeling great and inspired, get into action. And if you're looking for inspiration, call a firecracker friend. Let's just share that inspiration and share the firecracker love out there. All right, everybody, take care. We'll see you next time. Winnie Wong is our firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong eight on Twitter. Sydney Nielsen is our co-producer and head editor. You can follow them at Sydney underscore Nielsen. Sydney, like Australia. Nielsen, like milk. Our intro outro writer is Lauren Shell, who you can follow at underscore Lauren S-C-H-E-L-L. This episode was edited by Jennifer Rowley. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com slash about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Now, whether you're a first time or a long time listener to the Firecracker Department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you. We mean it. We really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know that when they put something out into the world, that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Share it because it just reverberates, you know? If you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity. So pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you, yeah, you, sitting there 
driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there, and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.